The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of A Quiet Place, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this 2018 hit movie. And joining me today on the panel are Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Dom. And Thomas Sanherho. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Uh, Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on our Facebook page, where you can follow us, facebook.com slash Media, and uh, retweet us on Twitter, where we're at sqpn and leave comments and and join the conversation we love to see you there and it's a great way of connecting with folks there uh so a quiet place written directed starring john krasinski jim from the office uh this came out in 2018 it was a a, i was about to say it was a quiet hit but (laughs) (laughs) it works it works yeah (laughs) it was a surprise hit shall we say uh and so much so that it it spawned a sequel uh a quiet place part two which, as we're recording this, was supposed to be due out in this month, March of 2020. Uh, but because of the virus and all that sort of thing, it's been like a lot of movies have been postponed to some unspecified later date this year. They hope uh, things will be better by then. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, an apocalyptic event where people are hunkering down in their homes, hiding from. Uh, dangerous things that uh, no one understands. So we're trying to take your mind off of the apocalyptic event that you're enduring right now, perhaps. Uh, So uh, some of us are more hunkered down than others, I guess. Uh, So let's talk about this movie. Uh, You you both have seen it. Did you guys see this in the theater or afterward? Tell me about how you saw it, Thomas. Uh, I watched it on Netflix. Um, Yeah, it was just just a Netflix watch for me. And it was uh, my wife and I sat together in in the living room, had the lights out, had the kids to bed. And um, it was it was a good watch. Yeah. Uh, How about you, Andrew? Yeah, same thing. Um, I watched it on Netflix and I I remember really wanting to see it in theaters. But for one reason or the other, I just never caught it Um, because usually I like to see movies like that on the biggest, loudest uh, screen. Yes. Um, But but yeah, like Thomas said, it was still a great experience watching it at home i'm not sure this would have made a difference for as far as loudest screens (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) it might have actually it might have actually been really good because you know you're used to going to the movies and having the big loud experience yeah it would have been very eerie sitting there not (laughs) having any sound at all yeah that's true that's true you know uh, i i also saw it at home i i didn't want to see this movie for the longest time Uh, i i resisted and and because I don't like horror movies, I'm not a fan. Mm. I don't like the jump scare. It's 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 just not my thing. But I, I I like some movies that are that could be considered horror. Like I like the aliens, you know. And and mm. there, so there are some of those sorts of movies. And my brother kept telling me because he's not a horror movie fan, but he kept telling me you really got to see this movie. No, you really yeah. got to see this movie. I don't want to tell you too much, but as a dad, you need to see this movie. Right. So uh, let's talk a little about this. Uh, it's a movie about family, really. Yeah, it, no, it really is. And that's I, like the closest I could equate it to another movie would be to Signs, where there's yes, there's like mm-hmm. a, a, a layer of story that just happens to have, you know, a horror element to it. But right. the story is really about the family. 
Right. And about these relationships between a dad, his children, the mom, the husband, the children. Yeah. There's, and, and living out these roles. Uh, it's, it's also a movie, a little bit about deafness, not just a little, it's a lot about be, being deaf, living with death, deaf, not death, death too, but deafness where what's normally a weakness is also a strength in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, so the, 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 the girl who is the, the daughter who's deaf, her deafness is, we, is presumably, we don't get a lot of backstory. We don't get any backstory really, but we presume that the fact that she was deaf, profoundly deaf, and that the family knows sign language is one of the reasons they are one of the few families to have survived this apocalyptic event. Uh, it's definitely should, an advantage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and it's and it's due to her deafness that that's kind of the assumption that you you tend to make as a viewer. You know, you're watching this and you're going, well, I mean, lucky for them that they had this situation that happened to prepare them in a in a deeper way for what happened. Right. Uh, I mean, at first we're presented like her deafness is a is a it causes the initial situation. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll spoil. We're going to be spoiling this discussion. We, as we often do on this show, we just assume you've seen it. This is a, this is a sort of discussion where we're talking about the depths of the movie and we can't do that without spoiling it. But the, that the death of her brother, the girl's brother at the beginning, she kind of blames on herself for being deaf and not hearing him. Uh, so we, let's let's kind of set the set the stage. At the beginning of the movie, we see this family in an abandoned town in this abandoned uh, pharmacy, I, I assume. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. they're moving very quietly, doing everything as quietly as possible, getting medicine for the older brother who's sick, and uh, the younger brother, this boy who's probably four, picks up a toy, a toy uh, spaceship, uh, and the dad very carefully takes it from him quietly and puts it back on the shelf. Uh, but then the sister gives it to the boy anyway, and he grabs batteries. And we know mm. that this is a bad thing. I suppose if you're going into this movie not knowing what the premise is, you don't understand why that why that's a bad thing. Mm. Um, but he eventually puts the batteries in, turns it on. But the way that the family is walking, he's at the back of the group. The dad's at the front. The mom is carrying the sick older brother. And between that, the, the little one and the rest of them is the deaf sister. And while the dad hears the toy... And starts running, the sister who's closest can't hear it. So it's her deafness which prevents her from saving her brother from these creatures that hunt by sound and are extremely fast. Who, who sadly, I mean, this movie starts with the death of the, the horrible Oof. death of the child. Right. Um, so it's it's it starts off with this horrible. The fact that she's deaf is she blames you know herself for why her brother dies, but it becomes the strength that saves them all and perhaps could save all of humanity by the end. Uh, right. So it, it, very interesting. Yeah. I think his death, it, having that death too, in, in the beginning of the movie, it, it really shows, instills the terror of, of the reality mm. of the world that they're living in. Cause usually when you're watching a, you know, a, a movie and, and you see the kids, you're like, Oh, they're probably going to be safe. They're, right, they're, right. they're going to make it out alive. Uh, um, you always assume, Oh, it's probably going to be one of the parents. And, you know, that does eventually happen. We'll get into that. But um, you, you would never think that, you know, the, yeah, the kids are always was, safe. Kids, right, we don't yeah. teach kids. Right? <laughs> so, right from the, yeah. <laughs> so right from the get go, it's it's setting it's setting the scene like this is this is the reality that they live in. Yeah. And they made, they made some very interesting decisions there, too. Like they, they showed the the creature, um, but very in a very blurry and very quick way. And I like 
Uh, I like the decision they made there because it's one of those things where if you show a creature like that too early, you end up having to um, you end up having to let the audience deal with it, you know, and that right. and that that limits what you can do with the creature. Whereas with this one, they they blurred it enough that they could leave it until later to really let you discover what it what it what it looked like. It's the Spielberg mm-hmm. rule, right? With right. Jaws, mm-hmm. you know, we we yep. know that it's there. We don't we see it indistinctly or only partially. And it's only later exactly. that we get the full horror of it, because if we see it too early, the horror of it sort of be- we become used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, that, I think that's I think that's a, that was a good choice. Uh, so this movie is mostly, as you'd expect from the title, silent. There is not a lot of dialogue. I mean, this this was probably a pretty easy script to write right. <laughs> in one sense. Well, uh, well, in one sense, yeah, but then in the other, the turn of it is that then you have to convey all of the emotion, you have to convey yep. all of the character development. Everything has to be conveyed with pure action and uh, yep. emotions Visual. from the actors. Right. And you have and you have two kid actors to deal with in that in that situation, which is makes it even more complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. And the director is one of the actors, so that's not mm-hmm. easy to direct from in front of the camera while you're, you know, in, in the process as well. The, the family, I find it very interesting. Um, Lee Abbott is the dad. Evelyn Abbott is the mom. Uh, the daughter is Regan. Uh, the older son is Marcus. The younger son is Bo. Uh, but their name is Abbott, which uh, I, I've heard that some people will see in that some reference to uh, like an Abbey, like a religious family, like a religious community that's set apart from the world in the great silence of a monastery and how mm. great uh, drama, if you've ever seen the, the movie the great, Into the Great Silence, I mean, you can see how the great drama of humanity is carried out in, can be carried out in the silence of a monastery, you know, in that battle of, of good versus evil in the depths of the human soul. And that this is kind, uh, it might be stretching it a bit to, 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 to apply that here, but what do you think of that, of that idea? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I read about that too, and and uh, I, 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 I don't think it's a stretch because, um, well, I, I also found out I didn't know that this before that John Krasinski is actually a devout Catholic. Yep. And and um and I don't think and the life that they live is very monastic. I mean, they 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 live right. in silence. They there's the, you see them pray at the table in silence. You know, mm-hmm. before meals. Um, uh, they're surrounded by books, so they, you know, they're always doing, you know, they they kind of live a, a quiet academic, you know, thoughtful life. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And uh, so I, I don't think it was. I, I, if I had to guess, it was probably you know not a, not an accident that their last name was Abbott. Yeah, well, and and if it was, it was a it was an accident that was made by the writer. In uh, you know, not un- unknowingly putting that uh, that same uh, flair on it. Yeah, I think I think that you have a set of characters here that's very much removed from the world that they live in, and and so much so that uh, the the way that the, the the way that they're separated from each other by that silence, mm-hmm. um, even in, in even though they live their whole lives together, they they are they're completely removed from each other to the point where. They don't even know the emotions that the others are going through. Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting take on things that even even in that contemplative uh, moment, you can get wrapped up too much in yourself and not the people that you're with and you're around. And I thought that was a great spin to put on mm. on their situation. Yeah. I mean, in that silence that none of them know, like the dad doesn't in the silence, doesn't know the the guilt 
that that his daughter is carrying or his wife is carrying from the, right. the death of their son, Bo. And they don't and he doesn't know that, you know, and, and his daughter doesn't know the guilt the dad carries. And, you know, that's in so many families this and sometimes there is this even though we're not being hunted, <laughs> there is that lack of communication and so much lack of empathy and understanding of the burdens that others, even in our own families, carry because there is a silence between us where we aren't talking about these things. They couldn't mm-hmm. talk, uh, but we mm-hmm. can. I, I think there's a clear message that's that's coming through in this movie in, in that sense. That's why I love this. Is uh, I, I say this is a movie, a family movie. This is a movie about family really life. Mm-hmm. With the monsters on the edge of this of the of the picture. Yeah. Well, that's I think that that's a Stephen King principle too, right? Is you take regular characters and and then you put them in a situation that is abnormal and you push them to their boundaries and see what comes up, and that's what makes a good story. Uh, I think that was his whole premise for Cujo is just like what what can I do to to break this person and and something that's completely out of their control is just this rabid dog. And that's the same kind of thing you have going on here is that it's just a regular group of people, but they are being pushed to the outer limits of what they're capable of. And they have to, they have to rise above it and they have to overcome it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that comes through in this is that there are basically two kinds of apocalyptic movies. There's the big one, like Armageddon, you know, where Mm. the, the president has to stop the, the Brock coming out of the sky, you know, and, and a movie like this story with that would be like the president and these aliens or whatever these creatures are coming out from the earth or coming out of the space. We don't know. We don't know what they are. And then there's the, <laughs> what's that? Independence yeah. Day. Right. Right. <laughs> and then there's the other kind, which this, this falls into, which is the small uh, apocalyptic movie that follow that. We don't know what caused the apocalypse. We don't know, you know, how it all came to be where we are here. And we don't know what's going on in the rest of the world, but we know what's going on in this little place with these mm-hmm. few people. And that's a very interesting sort of limitation that the writer and director put on themselves to tell this story. We don't know where these creatures came from. Are they aliens? Are they cryptids that, that, we, that were just discovered? Were they made in a lab? It, we don't know, but it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, it, right. It, it, yeah, from the... From the very little research uh, that I did um, preparing for this podcast, I, I, I remember there was a quote uh, that from John Krasinski, and he says that he wants to subvert every expectation from every apocalyptic movie that you've ever seen. He, yeah. And he specifically said, like, I didn't want that the speech that you got from the president, you know, right. uh, you know, and he didn't want to uh, um, make it this global threat, uh, you know, uh, even though it is a global threat, he didn't want to make us make the movie to that scale. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like, you know, all he wanted to convey is that, you know, there's, there's no decisions to be made by the government. You know, it's, it, everything just happens so fast and it's either you survive or you don't. That, right. That's, that's really yeah. all that needs to be said. Which I thought was really interesting then going through and looking at the producers and realizing that Michael Bay was on the, on the production uh, <laughs> Like, I'm like. Uh, Are you sure? I, I don't think there was a there weren't there weren't enough uh, slow mo shots. Uh, no slow mo shots, and no, not enough explosions. There needed to be more explosions. Well, the fireworks, I think, at the, the end was pretty right? much qualifies as the explosion. That might have been his only uh, contribution. No, that was it. There you go. You uh, know, I, I don't know if you guys had the same reaction, but as soon as we saw that the mom was pregnant, you, know, you both are dads mm-hmm. as well. You both probably yeah. had the same thought I did, which is. The 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 least quiet thing in all of creation is a newborn <laughs> yeah. baby. Like, how in the world can, are the, can this happen? And yet, they were welcoming this baby. There was right. joy in this, despite the danger. 
it was so amazing. And and then to to see that and to see, I mean, it's life goes on, right? You don't like, and that and that's humanity. I think I think that's that's the core message of this uh, of this movie is that um, we will continue, like we we right. will make things work. And uh, you know, this family is such a great example of like it doesn't matter. It's there. You don't have an option here. You can't just stop and have everything go back to the way it was you're you just have to deal with where you are and and move forward right and it was so beautiful in them like just they they accepted the fact that that's what was going to happen yeah and and it, it it also shows that it's it's not merely it's, this is not like you know i don't know i i stopped watching the walking dead like after season four but um i know they're like on season 28 but <laughs> it, it's not like you know where it's just a matter of like okay it's another day and we got to survive um, you know, her being pregnant and, and, and them obviously doing everything they can to, to, to have the baby and, and are, and are willing and happy to bring a baby into this, you know, in, insane world that they're living in. Um, it shows that like, it's not just good enough to try and survive every day. Like you have mm-hmm. to have a reason to live and you have to keep living and, and, right. and, 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 you know, your new normal, you know, it just has to. You just have to make things work, you know, with what you got. And, and right. uh, but you can't, like you said, you just, you can't stop. You have to have hope and, and nothing yeah. Yeah. conveys hope more than a new baby. You know, a baby mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. way is, is the ultimate expression of hope in, 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 in the world. You know, that idea of yeah. new life. Uh, I mean, because they have to, they they haven't stopped teaching the children. You know, there's that scene where she, they're having the, 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 the kids are in school and she's teaching them. Right. You know, they haven't stopped looking to the future they're not like you said andrew they're not just surviving they're living and that's Mm -hmm. a big difference although the baby the baby coffin threw us like (laughs) my wife kept going oh the baby coffin i can't do oh the baby coffin (laughs) we we are pregnant right now so we're kind of like in that moment of like you know thinking about like okay where's the baby gonna be we we still got one in the crib kind of like oh the baby coffin really was actually. I was wondering yeah. if they would be selling that at Babies R Us. You know, I know right? <laughs> it's because it's silent and quiet, and you just put the baby inside. No, 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 uh, no. What are the? Uh, what, uh, I, I, of course, being me, I can't help it. I look at the farm that they're on, and I'm wondering, how did they plant all that corn silently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems. Mm-hmm. That seems. Uh, um, when it snows, because they're quite obviously in a place that that gets at least some snow. Right. How do they walk around in all that snow quietly? Oh, they walk Cause... around in the snow. Yeah, that was a question. <laughs> we, uh, well, and then and then if you really, I, I this I'm, this is the only unraveling I'm going to do, but it's okay. got to be done, right? Okay. <laughs> um, I don't care how prepper you are. Uh, they were way over prepared for the situation that they were in, right? And, right. Because I'm I'm very much like a, a a readiness guy, right? And the 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 knowledge base that they had combined with living in the uh, living on this farm that was perfectly positioned mm-hmm. was very it was very hard to buy like that was a really hard sell in my in my opinion let me let me throw it the other side to you though which is because uh, i heard this from uh steven sterling who's an author who writes apocalyptic fiction he wrote this great uh series of books called the, the Changeverse or emberverse series where uh 99 of humanity dies and one percent survive and he talks about like Oh, like the readers would object. How could your your character have survived? That's so un you know unlikely. He's like, I mean, yes, it is. <laughs> that it's That's like winning the, point, the lottery yeah. twice. But but right. if ninety nine percent of people die and one percent survive, 
every one of those people that survived would have had the most unlikely set of coincidences right. and circumstances. So, yeah, I, I suppose you could sell it like that, but you're right. Yeah, that, well, that's that's what I was trying to say. I was, I was like, okay, so maybe he is a guy that was in the rat race and they decided to sell everything and go live on a farm. And that's just, and then this happened. Like, you yes. Know, so that was the, that was how I was like justifying. It was like <laughs> such a hard sell to try and get those, those things to match up with each other. I know. I know. Same here. Uh, so one of the things that, that I kind of like was how Lee, the dad, He's trying to reconnect with his daughter by by repairing the thing that he thinks, you know, caused her to um, to have this to 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 have her her brother die. You know what I mean? The her deafness. Mm. And so he's working on that cochlear implant device, trying to fix it so she can hear. He thinks that this is this would help her. This is, you know, one the way that will. And, and it's it's never spoken, but you get the idea like. For her to survive, she needs to be able to hear right. the world around her uh, when when she can't rely on him anymore or other people. And so he's trying to make this device. And and she's angry that he thinks that he can fix her and that he's overprotective of her. And so that's I mean, how often like I've I've just got teenagers like I, my daughters are just in the the uh, you know beginning teenager. So I get I get this whole like. Uh, the the difference between the dad trying to protect and the child trying to push, you know, a little independence and then not communicating back and forth. So I could see that dynamic going on a little bit in there. And it's very interesting, even to the point where he, he decides to take his son to the river to catch fish instead of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think? Why, why do you think he took the son instead of the daughter? Was it just being overprotective of her or what, did he have another reason? That he didn't say. I, I I'm curious because I'm not quite sure. I I know why. I think if they were a whole year on from the death uh, by that point, you know, because it gives you like a it gives you a brief like here's the day number, and then it's yeah. like the the next day number is like uh, like three hundred some odd days later or something like that. Yeah. And um and so I don't think that this was anything except for something out of the ordinary that he was taking the boy instead of the wife, and I think that's I think that's where it might have gotten upsetting to the girl that he kind of skipped her. And so right. that's kind of the impression I got. We know, you know, we don't know, we don't, we don't have a lot of information about what went on there exactly. But, um, you know, I think he, because, you know, the wife's pregnant and she's, she, so they're, they're dealing with, with that issue. And he's also trying to prep the kids for being able to live on their own and, and to make sure that they can take care of themselves and uh, the rest of the family too, if they need to. Mm. And so, I, I, why he picked uh, the why he picked the son? I think it's just easier. I, 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 in that situation, I think that you know she was having problems with the implant, so it was harder for her to be able to go out and hear. And so he picked the one that he could easily teach how to do these things, so that if he needed to help around the house, that he could, and he could send him out and rely on him to do stuff. Right. So. I don't know. I, I I thought I felt like it was very utilitarian. Like I didn't feel the I didn't feel the complications of like an emotional. Oh, I you know I I need to fix her before she can do this or anything like that. Just straight up in that situation, it was a survival choice. Like right, this and is the way that this is the easiest way for us yeah. to make this a survival issue. He was being the dad who sees it as utilitarian, and she's the daughter who sees it in in an emotional or relational terms. Right. Yeah. 
which then I think I, in my in my feeling it led it, it led to that uh, situation where they're at the river and the son's talking to him and says, uh, you know, hey, you know, she you know how she feels about this. And he's and he's he seems surprised by the by the fact that there's like an emotion behind the this <laughs> guilt. Right. About it. Because yeah. he's been bearing all the guilt about it and he feels like it's his fault that this whole thing happened, you know. So and, and I think that was, that was one of the things that was really beautiful is that they were all independently bearing some weight from that situation and if they had been able to share the load more it would have been better for all of them in one sense the quiet place is that place of guilt where no mm-hmm. one spoke it out loud and no one shared it with one another right that's the quiet place in, in a metaphorical sense Andrew what yeah. do you think of that 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 central this this central uh carrying of guilt that they have and 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 this this moment at the river where the sun reveals us to him yeah i mean i totally uh agree with the guilt being the 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 quiet place and and i and i feel like the going going back to you know why he took the sun you know i kind of felt the same way it's it was it was totally it was like okay if 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 he needs to be the man of the house one day you know he needs to learn these skills and and you know carry on and 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 i feel like in the movie it was intentional that obviously the girl you know because of her brother the circumstances of her brother's death and and how she just was emotionally um i think it was intentional that she was the black sheep of the family right and 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 that so in the end you know when when we see the payoff of 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 him fixing you know the the device and that being the her being like the reason why they survive uh, or, you know, and, and, and that device playing, you know, a pivotal role being like the the superhero weapon of this mm-hmm. of this story, essentially. I think it, it helps that scene. <clears throat> excuse me. It helps that scene in the end pay off more um, right. because because she's in this state this whole time. And mm-hmm. and at the end, it just, you know, come go get, goes uh, full circle. When she runs off while the dad and the and the and her brother are at the river, she packs her backpack and runs off and she goes to her brother's memorial at the place where he died. Is she running away? Is she leaving or is she just like, I'm, I need to get out of this house for a little while and I'm going to go to that place? Did, what, did you get a sense of that? I, I couldn't figure out whether she was running away or just I need to get away for a little bit. I don't know that she knew. And I, I think that was I think okay. that was such a well done event because we didn't know and and i think you very clearly felt her sense of not belonging at all Mm. and um you know she didn't have anywhere to go uh there's there's nowhere she could go to where she would be better off than where she was right uh but at the same time she didn't feel like she was really like she belonged where she was and so that that whole scene was great her whole set of scenes there uh was just aimless and you really got this sense of of her not having a purpose. And then when when everything does come full circle at the end, she has that aha moment of like, oh, I do have a purpose. Right. And so for her, it was just not knowing how she fit into everything. And and we get that feeling just walking through uh, her shoes during that moment. This is right around the type around the time where the where the brother Marcus tells the dad at the river, you need to you need to tell her you love her. And he says she knows I love mm-hmm. her. And he's like, does she? Have you told her? You know, there's this moment where, you know, hey, guys, you have to actually say the words. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's sort of stereotypical. You have to tell them that you have to actually say the words that you love. And you can't just show them by the things you do. And so often as guys, to use some generalities here, uh, guys, we often 
express love through the things we do for others, for the for the ones we love. Whereas sometimes they really just need us to say it, just say the mm. words, you know, and and, mm. and and that that's felt like such a true moment in this movie. Like there's like there are many of these true moments and that felt like a true moment apart from the, you know, the science fiction horror stuff. That was a true moment of of that. You could see the dad going, oh, you know, sort of that. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. Um then we have a we get, this is where we get into the heart of the action of the movie from from this point where um on the way back to the to the farm uh Lee and his son Marcus they encounter this old man who's standing over the the corpse of his wife who has been killed by one of these creatures and the old man has lost it i mean he's he has lost the will to live he's lost his desire to to put up with this and there's he commits suicide by by alien creature or whatever by yelling hmm. that, and, and the, which is the, a nice foreshadowing of what's going to come later. This is a yelling out of despair. And later on, we mm-hmm. Lee will yell out of love in a sense, right. self-sacrificial mm-hmm. love. So they have to run. And meanwhile, Evelyn, the, the mom is back at the house alone where of course she goes into labor alone. And then Okay, this is this is the toughest thing in the movie to watch. Uh, watching the son get get killed was hard, but watching her step on the exposed on the nail. nail, yeah, and oh. not yell. Oh, oh my, that, that was, was crazy. Oh, I was cringing. And she's she's incredibly strong to not scream mm-hmm. at this point. Like this, you see the incredible strength she has to to do this, and then to go into labor in a bathtub by herself holding it all in uh while the creature is like in the house it's in the house with you you know the classic horror movie line uh it's just that whole scene is just incredible uh that 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 strength that that any great family has is the strength is not just one of the parents or the other parent but both in their unique ways working together for the family as that backbone of the family together uh, so I just loved seeing that. I mean, I didn't hate, I hated seeing it in one sense because <laughs> it looked so right. horrible, but, but I love well, seeing no, she's it. A, she's an incredibly strong woman and it, the, the the character is just uh, an amazing example. Uh, and and the, the, the fact that going back to that hope, that sense of hope of when you find out that you're pregnant and to override that, that dread and go, okay, now what do we do? How do we how do we make this work and to come up with the decisions and the solutions that they came up with is is incredible because, you know, you're, you're in the middle of all of this having to be silent and you're going into a store and like your kids picking up a toy that you very quietly grab and take the batteries of and put to the side because we're not. Gonna, and now we have to go out and collect fireworks right. and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like just that uh, the, the dichotomy of those two things is really interesting. And the setting up the light uh, system because they know the creatures are blind. They're 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 mm-hmm. absolutely they have no vision at all. Yet it can hear the slightest sound, usually, which we'll get to. Uh, <laughs> they can hear the slightest <laughs> sound. Uh, so they have a visual alarm system of lights, mm-hmm. and when the lights are are white, that means good. When they turn red, red alert. You know, I was curious about the sand and the bare feet everywhere. I, I guess right. walking on sand in your bare feet doesn't make n- as much noise, I guess. Well, if you if you think about uh, twigs and leaves and things falling. So if you just take a bag of sand with you and hmm. scatter it over everything, you're not going to break 
twigs. You're not going to oh, crunch leaves. That's true. And so that, they had they right, had those right. paths. So there were lots of paths everywhere that they had. Yeah. You know, if they needed to go a particular place, there was a path that they had carved out with the sand. Right. And when it rains, you replenish it. I guess. Yeah. 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 And the cre- and I'm and I'm guessing the creatures, uh, you know, the, they learn to like just ignore like sounds of nature. Yeah. Um, right. So maybe they, you know, if they just hear a little crackle here or there. They might just brush it tree off. Br- yeah, tree branches yeah. or that's really. Although yeah. apparently they any all the creatures are dead. There's no birds. There's no small. We see the raccoons get get eaten. You know, taken that's, by the that's creature. Right. I want to go back to Evelyn giving birth in the tub because you know Lee, Lee comes finds her there. He sent or I forget the the no, chain finds, of events. He finds her in the shower, right? Because she right. moved. Cause and the- he sends no no. I'm sorry. Before that, the creature's coming up the stairs. Lee has sent Marcus to go set off the diversion of the fireworks and Mm -hmm. she holds it in and the creature's like right outside the door and she holds it as long as she can. And then she finally just screams in labor as, as the fireworks go off to mask her sound. In that sense, the fireworks sends the creature off, you know, running. And I saw, I think maybe it was Bishop Barron who compared this like to uh, the vision of revelations 12 where the woman clothed with the son who gives birth as the dragon waits to devour her son, you know, Mary, yeah. the woman clothed with the son. And, and that's what we're seeing here. Essentially is this dragonish creature waiting to devour her and her son as she gives birth. I thought that was kind of a fascinating comparison. So, yeah, that's and that's awesome. when Lee finds her in the, you know, in the tub uh, or in the shower, in the bathroom with the newborn. And has all new appreciation for his wife's strength. Yeah. Um, no kidding. <laughs> he, he, so, and then he takes them to the soundproof basement in the barn, I guess, that they've, that they've soundproofed. And the baby goes into the soundproof crib with the oxygen mask, which I thought was a fascinating thing. I think maybe to keep them from crying or something, I guess. Or maybe just to have, because the crib could be so uh, airtight, I guess. Right. Mm. Yeah. You'd have, you'd have yeah. to make it mostly airtight for the sound to stay in. And- yeah. Yeah. So she falls asleep, but wakes to find the creature uh, tears everything up up above, which in the process breaks a water pipe, I guess. And that flood starts flooding the basement and the baby's now exposed floating around. And the creature is down there with them in the water. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why, why can't the creature hear their heartbeats or the, her slight movement as she's moving right. through the water? If this thing can hear so well, but you know, Whatever I, I you know, you gotta you gotta have a movie you can't, you can't you know have everything. Then uh, we have to see Marcus in the cornfield knocks himself out. I thought that was actually kind of amusing where he's like running yeah. headlong and bang right into the yeah. tire. Poor kid. Yep, completely that, accurate though because I've had my kids do that <laughs> <laughs> running headlong. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's when his sister has she's seen the fireworks from the 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 memorial on the bridge and come back. And that's where she she sees the flashlight shining, the light shining from where her brother run into the corn. It, she finds the brother and the alien comes or whatever it is, the creature, let's call it the creature. I kind of assume that they're aliens, but whatever it is, the creature comes. And as it gets close to her, her, imp, her uh, cochlear implant has feedback that causes it pain and causes it to run away. So mm-hmm. our first hint that there's something going on, she doesn't notice it at all. She doesn't see it at all. But then they they go to hide in the grain solo or on top of the grain solo where they they burn a, um, a flare or something like a signal. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which seems to be a, a common thing. Like they they were communicating with other people who had survived by burning those the, those things. And I thought that was a really interesting like 
uh, isolation. They, they were all very isolated, but they all must have these paths that go in and out of the town. So right. they probably know still where each other live and do communicate with each other at some uh, to some extent or another. But I mean, you can't, right. you know, what are, what are you going to do? Get together and have a party? <laughs> right, right. My <laughs> guess know, is so quiet. they light these signals on a regular basis to let the others know that we're still here, that we're still alive. You know, that's pretty right. much... And to be reassured that others are alive as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit like the beacon fires of Gondor, you know. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) send the signal. So so Regan and Marcus, they go up there and they have an argument, right? And then Mm -hmm. uh, Marcus steps on the the, the hatch and falls through into the silo. Um, And that's when the alien comes in. They're they're drowning in the grain, which is actually really accurate, but it... People have died drowning in in uh, grain silos. It's uh, there's no purchase in it. It's like quicksand. Uh, so that's uh, kind of was kind of scary. Um, the alien comes and once again her cochlear implant feedback drives it away. And they they run. Meanwhile, Dad is coming. Lee is coming to 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 save them. And um, they hide in a in this truck in the field. And the dad comes sees the creature on top of the truck and decides that he's going to save them. Uh, he signs to her, I've always loved you. And interesting thing, Millicent Simmons, who plays Regan, she's she's actually deaf. She'd asked John Krasinski to change the sign from just I love you to I've always loved you because she felt mm. that that was m- more profound, a more profound emotional moment. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I I really I really like that because yeah, I mean, it's not just I love you. That's 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 almost a banal, you know, we could just I love you, you know, just really easy to say. But I've always loved you. I've I've never stopped loving you. It's essentially, you know, it's a, I, I you know, I never blamed you. You in Right. Wow, what a <laughs> what a powerful moment. Yeah, it's that moment of forgiveness and um and really exactly what she needed to close the the situation that they were having right throughout the the entirety of the movie exactly i i think that that ending was uh, one of my one of my favorite parts of the movie is is, mm-hmm. is the ending and I, I feel like they they nailed it it's very hard for uh you know a lot of horror movies and thrillers to uh to end well but you know even though you you would you kind of like can predict like oh probably the the dad's gonna die you know or one you know one of the parents is are gonna die as as what usually happens in these things um as long as you can you know pay it off uh, in a powerful way and uh, the way that they did it, it it really um um like i mentioned before the fact that she goes from being this girl that's full of guilt and and is like the black sheep of the family to being the hero it just uh it, it, it it really put the, it elevated the film you know uh to another level you know it, it could have they could have easily gone the route of like well you know he he just saves them and uh he mm-hmm. sacrifices himself and and he's the reason why they survived but right. the fact that she played a role in that you know i think was a was a wise choice it's a it's a classic superhero story isn't it where mm-hmm. it's the sac- it's the self sacrifice of the of a parent or parent figure uncle ben for peter parker Um, uh, Batman's mom and dad, you know, the Wayne's, um, uh, Superman's parents, you know, they, their self-sacrifice is something that propels that hero to become the hero. And that you can assume maybe in a quiet place too, 
<laughs> that it comes out even more where they 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 she becomes that hero because of his sacrifice. Bishop Robert Barron again something else he said about this movie because he really liked it too. He said when when Lee screams to attract the creatures to himself, knowing that they will kill him in order to save his children, he said it. That's like Christus Victor, uh, Jesus Christ drew the dark powers to himself in a self-sacrificial way, and by doing so, liberates those who are in danger. And that's the message right. of the cross of Easter and Good Friday, uh, and that's something we see here that Lee does. I think that's it, it's something that a father does for his children, and and or you know the in this case the the elder brother did for his his siblings us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, so I really love that image of his, of that fatherly self sacrifice. And so we have a father who sacrificed for his family, but his sacrifices his life. But we also have a mother who sacrifices everything else for them as well. Mm -hmm. So there's so there's a lot of like her sacrifice is no less, especially since without a father they need her now. Like she can't give her life to yeah. them; she'll give everything else. Yeah, in an interview I read, um, uh, John Krasinski, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are real life husband and wife. Right. And and uh, so the fa th that fact, I think, helps uh, really help their chemistry, obviously, naturally. Um, right. And and he said the what really uh, what he really thought about while developing this film was he thought about like, well, he, he they had just had their second child. The theme that kept ringing in his head is like, I'm thinking about what I would do for my family. Mm -hmm. um in right. this situation like how much would i sacrifice how much would i be willing to do um he and emily i think that really uh, um helped the film uh find its its emotional core um yeah. and, and and the fact that it was it was a real life mother and father in the film i think that that, that helped oh, it carry yeah. its weight well, and and then that that scene is is so fantastically accurate. You, you don't think a scream is very hard to do but there's so many different ways to ruin that moment with the wrong emotion, with the wrong expression, with the, the wrong kind of scream even. And uh, he just nailed it. Like it was it was pitch perfect to that moment. And, you know, I went back and watched it again and like just everything about it, like the, the, the emotion that he's conveying, the sense of absolute dread about what's going to happen, but complete understanding that that's what has to happen in order to save his kids. You know, it just he gets it all in there and it was really so powerful and it, it could have been a, a complete failure, but it, it they came, they got it perfectly and it really looks fantastic as it comes out in the movie. Not to, not to overdo the metaphor a little, but it reminds me a lot of the emotion of that Jim Caviezel showed in the passion of the Christ. Yeah. Uh, another yes. movie, which we're going to be talking about actually in secrets of movies and TV shows uh, very soon. Uh, but it's, it, it or, we might have already, depending on when this comes out. <laughs> but in in that movie, he he, there's that moment of the of the of Christ giving his life over, you know, giving it, giving up, mm -hmm. as they used to say, giving up the ghost, giving up his spirit, and it's it's a similar thing that that profound from the from the depths that 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 yell that that primeval uh, mm -hmm. sense of both loss. A defiance of evil, strength in, even in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It was perfect the way he, he portrayed that. So the movie does end with um, Evelyn and the three kids in the house's basement with the creatures coming. And Regan has realized that the implant, her implant, hurts the creatures, uh, makes them vulnerable. 
So she uses a microphone and speaker that are there that her dad, you know, had set up because he's been on the shortwave trying to contact people to amplify it, which causes it to expose a, a weak spot. You kind of wish the army had figured this out long ago when they were shooting know, right? at these, <laughs> these creatures who couldn't be shot by bullets. But that lets Evelyn blast it with a shotgun. And the movie ends with two more creatures, you know, showing up on the closed circuit video cameras, approaching, running toward the house, approaching the house. You kind of get the, you know, the idea that you know, I think she even cocks the shotgun, racks another yeah, round yeah. in there, ready and, to and go. Turns around and looks, turns around and looks at, at, at Regan and says, like, almost like, a, you ready, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like this tacit nod. Very aliens moment there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know that they're, you know, you, you get the idea. They're going to survive this encounter. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what's going to happen. A, a few things about, you know, in just kind of say in general, you know, um, Evelyn's a doctor. Remember, I think that, I don't think we mentioned that. Like she, the character's a doctor. She wants her kids to be fully formed, fully thinking people. We see her teaching them. Lee is an engineer, you know, who wants, mm to get his family through each day. He's very, you know, again, we mentioned before, he's, he's kind of utilitarian in that sense. He wants to, he wants to, to, to give them what they need, equip them to survive and, and to be, you know, to be taken care of the monster. Meanwhile, I, I have to, I, I'm very careful about these, about metaphors and allegories and things like that, but bear with me for a second. It, it can, could represent all that in the world that want, that we're afraid will tear us away from each other, our family. And even, mm -hmm. you know, kill the members of our family. The answer to that monster is a quiet determination, a, uh, mm. uh, a to return to a simplicity of to a life focused on the members of our family. You know, it's not just shutting out the world, but shutting out that part of the world that endangers us. So we have to care for each other. Frankly, <laughs> in the <laughs> current climate, that's that's probably a relevant message for for us. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Very much so. <laughs> so th th this is a movie that says a lot about about family, as I said before. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we're left with questions. What's going to happen to this this woman who doesn't have her husband now and her children, including a newborn? Won't this the birth of this child be the death of this family? You know, and uh, right. how, <laughs> how, how often does that even come up even without cryptid creatures who kill everybody? Oh, if you have two kids and you're having another child, oh, won't that be the, the too a burden yeah. too much for this family to right. bear? How do or, you or just manage a, it? another child after having lost one so tragically? You know, that's always uh, that's always something that people come back with, like, oh, this is not it's not going to be healthy for you. You're going to have troubles dealing with things. So yeah, I mean, it's so often it's you know, oh, if you have you know have another child, you have you know a bigger family. You oh, say goodbye to a normal life, say goodbye to your wife, say goodbye to your husband. You know, you know. But they don't fall for that message. They no. just prepare as best they can and live in hope. And that's yeah. that. That's if that if the I think if a quiet place has a message, that I think that's that's the message. Prepare as best you can, live in hope, love yeah. the ones you're with, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Yeah. And anything else you guys want to say about this uh, the movie that we didn't cover? I liked I liked how quiet it was. I yeah. honestly like, like they did they did such a good job. That I, I think um, without that scene at the river. Um, you could have had a, a movie that really fell flat, but having that one moment where there was noise and there was a, an a, an ability for them to talk to each other, uh -huh. uh, a moment of real like true tenderness in the middle of that kind of harsh reality, um, that was such a great scene that just really pulled uh everything together from the rest of the movie, uh, in such a good way because it it, it was 
you know, just and, and the, even the colors, uh, even the the palette for that whole scene is yeah. very different because it's all it's all very brown, very dark and dim, except for that one scene where it's very bright and vibrant green and um, you know, same same area, but the 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 way that they shot it and the setting were very different. And it I really relieved, I loved yeah the cinematography was fantastic yes. throughout the whole thing. It relieved the tension a lot of that scene, right? You mm-hmm. know, it kind of <laughs> let up the tension a little bit. So you could breathe a bit. And I think that mm-hmm. the movie really needed a breather uh, at yeah. that point, which was good. You're right. Yeah, because you hit the ground running. I mean, you hit the, one of the first things that happens is that is the death of the kid. And you're just like, yeah, oh, my gosh, what am I in for here? <laughs> right, and right. It, just keep, and it just keeps like the, the tension just stays high that whole time until you get to that one scene. Right. It's quiet and the creatures are ever present on the edges of that screen. You're just waiting mm-hmm. for them to show up and it's very tense. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, how about you? Any any last uh, thoughts about this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, talking about the tension, uh, the, the tension of the film is biggest strength because I, I liked when I when I watch a movie. Well, I like movies for many different reasons, but a, a movie like this, I just I just want to be sweating and I want and I want and I want to be <laughs> worried. Even though you don't like feeling like that, I want to be worried. I want to I want to just be at the edge of my seat. And uh, I want my heart pounding. And I think John Krasinski, I mean, for his, I think this was his first feature, at least I his first so. big feature. Uh, you know, I thought it was a revelation. I mean, uh, before this, he was the guy from The Office, right? So right. Um, <laughs> to see that he had the directing chops and the acting chops, because, you know, even before this, he's just really known for his comedy, um, was really impressive. And And you see, like, the influences from, from Spielberg and Hitchcock. And, uh, you know, I, one thing I appreciate about the movie, uh, the, the way it builds tension is that there there's not one way to defeat this creature. It's like, well, if you made a sound, okay, well, you made a sound. If I run, they can catch me. If I stay right. still, they'll catch me. It's like that, like WTF moment. Like, okay, like now I really have to like, really think about what I'm going to do in this, in this situation. And and it's, it, it, they were always constantly, you know, battling with that. And then yeah. obviously the, the pregnancy scene was just in a, on another level, uh, right. uh, you know, of that just layers and layers of, of tension and, and how are they going to get out of this? And to constantly be in that, in that mode, um, as, <laughs> as much, as, as, as much, uh, sweat and effort it takes to get through a movie like that, you know, the, the payoff at the end, um, really, um, is what hits a home. And at first I didn't like the ending, the, the, the very end where, you know, she cocks the shotgun and yep. it's like, Oh, what? Oh, now it's going to be a franchise. Like we're going <laughs> to see yeah. her on her little adventures with her children. And, and they're going to do this, uh, walking dead sort of thing where, where they're just uh, out there, uh, you know, you know, shooting the creatures. And, but after, after, you know, watching it again and, and, uh, and thinking about and now that the sequel's out, it's getting really, really good reviews. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it whenever it comes out. I know, right. and I know it's gotten delayed, um, but I, I cannot wait to see the sequel. And and, and I'm pumped mm-hmm. to see, you know, how they could even manage to top this one. Yeah, I have to say, uh, John Krasinski has become one of my favorite actors out there right now. I mean, the Between a Quiet Place, Thirteen Hours, the Jack Ryan series. I really, it's not just that I like his acting. I like the projects he's doing. I like yeah. the kind of uh, movies and shows that he's making and the things that they say and the values they embody. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not perfect. Obviously it's Hollywood, you know, it's, <laughs> it, that's the way it is. But I really feel like that, the that they, 
they have something to say that that's worthwhile and embody a certain outlook on life, on the world, on family, on, on those sorts of things that yeah. I really enjoy. So I'm looking forward to the the whatever else he's got coming in in the future. Um, apparently, he has said that uh, he has ideas for Quiet Place Three. <laughs> I hope they don't overdo it. Like some things are best done the way, you know, and be done with it, you know, but do it one story done. Yeah. Get straight done. There's going to be a quiet place spinoff, you know, it's like, (laughs) Hey man, there was that guy. It was that we saw that guy in the woods. So we know there's others out there. So (laughs) Uh, yeah, a quieter place, (laughs) not so quiet place. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I think that's a. I think that's a good place that we should uh, wrap things up ah. there. I notice I did call it a good. Pl- uh, the good place once in this episode. I was very afraid of doing that because we just did. Uh, it's <laughs> a good, good place. place yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as, as we wrap things up, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including Stephen B, Irving N, Jacob J, Jacqueline B, and Jeffrey L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows we do at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And please do go to sqpn.com and check out all the shows we have. Uh, We have a lot of of very good shows that you might enjoy if you enjoy this. Uh, So that's it from us. What did you think of A Quiet Place? We'd love to hear what you think by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or on the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or you can send an email to secrets at sqpn.com Until next time, Thomas Sanerho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of A Quiet Place. It's been great. Andrew Hermes, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. Quest.